0: these days so many podcast hosts just riff through unprepared segments until they get to the next ad break for pills they know nothing about cheap razors and whatever else they can get a buck from but the higher side chats does it differently we succeed or fail on the quality of the content and your desire to hear more of it So you're about to hear another free first hour episode that's here to prove the two hour shows are worth subscribing for. Five shows a month for just $8. Members get a mobile friendly website, a decade of archives, a dedicated RSS feed for the best podcast apps, and a lot deeper discussion than a single hour can allow for. Sponsor free with more for thee. Get a free seven-day trial of THC Plus at TheHigherSideChats.com. Enjoy!
1: In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Happy days are here again, Higher Side Chatters from sunny San Diego. I'm Greg Carlwood, and while almost everybody knows a guy who knows a guy who has seen or experienced something unexplainable... So many of us live our lives tightly packed into the smart city centers, spend our days overworked in some cubicle office or warehouse, and even when we can catch a break, we rarely look up from the never-ending scroll of Reddit and Instagram while counting down the hours until we do it all again. So is it any wonder that we have so many naysayers, disbelievers, and critics of the paranormal when we don't really give ourselves the opportunity to experience much outside of our daily routines? Well, when you consider the lives of those enlisted in the military and what that service entails, they start to seem like a pretty prime group to have a wide range of -of out-of-the-box, strange, and otherworldly encounters compared to the rest of us. They are regularly sent out into remote areas for long periods of time. They're trained and equipped with detection technology that can see more of the electromagnetic spectrum or oftentimes just better than the naked eye, from night vision to infrared and thermal, and they're constantly observing their surroundings. So it only makes sense that today's guest Nick Orton, an active-duty serviceman himself, started collecting personal testimonies from others in the force and made an Instagram account dedicated to sharing them called Tales from the Grid Square. And wouldn't you know it, the stories came piling in and the account blew up to the point that Nick has just released a book by the same title that's a collection of over 230 accounts of the paranormal from the eyes of soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines who have tales of terrifying warzone weirdness and unsettling experiences in the field, with a wide range of things, including ghosts, shadow people, UFOs, Sasquatch, skinwalkers, dogmen, and more. It's a fascinating subset of stories from folks in unique positions, and I salute Nick for putting it all together and opening a space to get these stories out. So let's bring him in, the high strangeness account collecting serviceman and paranormal tale teller, Nick. Welcome to the higher side.
2: Awesome. Thank you for having me today.
1: You got it, man. Thanks for doing this. I think you have a really nice niche carved out for yourself here, but tell us how this became your thing. I understand it started with experiences of your own, right?
2: Yeah. So I have to say the duty I always say whenever I go on a podcast, to bear with me real quick. I have to say this, unfortunately.
1: Disclaimers, disclaimers.
2: Yes. Because, you know, People, I wish people had more common sense, but there are people that think I'm, like, some government leaker or, like, people, schizos that think, like, I'm like a false... You would not believe what people have accused me of. You're a spook, Nick. I know, right? I, I glow in the dark. Uh, <laughs> so I have to say that anything I talk about is not reflective of any official stance of the DOD or Armed Forces. Nothing is, like, any official statement by the DOD or Armed Forces. Every view that is expressed in my book or myself on my page or here are just purely like opinions of myself and not related to anything of the DoD or the Armed Services. And just for your viewers or listeners to understand, there is no really way for me to 100% verify these stories. So everything I post, though, is something that I've tried to do my minimum due diligence I can. And so everything I posted and everything I put in the book, I believe to be factual. Fair enough. All right. So now getting into it. So I always have to say that because I literally had somebody like accuse me one time of leaking government information. And I'm just like, no, no, it's not. It's, it doesn't really work like that, man. Sorry.
1: <laughs> I totally understand.
2: So I've always had interest in like paranormal topics, right? Ever since I was a young kid, I think one of the biggest mistakes my parents made was getting, letting me buy the book Communion. I don't know if you're
1: familiar with that one. Oh, Whitley Strieber, yes, previous guest.
2: I was like in a thrift store one day in Southern California, and I just saw it like, oh, this cool looking book cover. <laughs> like when I was like eight years old or something, I picked it up and just read it. At that age, I just read anything I could get my hands on, and then I was like hooked. After like, whoa, this is kind of weird. Like I want to learn more, and I had a series of books as a kid. I wish I still had them that kind of talked about a lot of paranormal subjects that are more mainstream now like giants and bigfoot and you know ufo which i guess you could argue those have always been like mainstream within their own communities Mm -hmm. so anyways fast forward i'm in the service i'm in the military i still have these interests in this stuff and basically i have some experiences that kind of made me start to reconsider some stuff and that being as you mentioned in the beginning like you know some people We in society will see stuff that happens. And so, like, I don't use paranormal a lot. I prefer, like, not normal or, like, just (laughs) weird, right? Because, like, what is really paranormal other than, like, something that occurs that is not normal within your, like, scope (laughs) of understanding? Mm -hmm. And it's just a little bit, I think, more inviting for people who hear not normal than paranormal because, you know, in the regular world, you don't want people to think you're crazy. Or maybe you do, maybe that's your thing. In the military world, if people think you're not 100% there, it could affect your career, it could affect people's trust in you, and it could affect ultimately how you do your job. A lot of times, one thing I've talked to people about that may or may not know, when you hear accounts of like, oh, yeah, my sergeant told me, don't ever talk about this again, that's really not people trying to cover stuff up, in my opinion. That's like people looking out for others like, hey, like, Don't let anyone hear you talk about this because they'll think you're crazy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you won't be able to progress if people think you're crazy. So basically, there are people that talk about this stuff. And it's during like the times when no one else is listening, if that makes sense. So like late at night on staff duty or like on CQ, which is like a 24-hour duty. You're bored and you start talking about stuff or like, you know, out in the field, you're tired, you're bored, and then inevitably somebody has a spooky story or in like the smoke pits or something like that. And so I always thought like all these stories that are like whispered in hushed tones when no one else is listening, like how many people are holding on to stuff like that? And based on some experiences that I had and talking to friends of mine who had like similar shared experiences, it really kind of got my brain thinking like, okay there's something here like people are seeing stuff and you know maybe they just want to hear their story told so how could i do that and i chose instagram because in my opinion instagram has been like the easier social media to like manage and grow i don't like twitter i really don't know how to use it (laughs) i abhor reddit (laughs) so if you're a reddit moderator you need to not be a Reddit moderator anymore. (laughs) No, seriously, I've been banned from like several subreddits for just simply posting one thing.
1: Yeah, I believe it.
2: Because I I didn't read the six pages of rules. Right. (laughs) Like, I don't got time to read all that. Sorry, guys. But Instagram, I settled on that because there's like established military meme niche communities. So I started there and several of them helped me kind of build the page, get it going, like build the momentum for it. And once that started, it it really just took off. I think I'm up to, I just checked this morning. I am up to 22K followers, which I mean, like for other pages, that's like nothing. But for me, that's in about a little over a year time. That's a pretty impressive growth in my opinion. Yeah, it is. I posted 872 posts and I haven't had an exact breakdown, but I do think it comes out to of those posts, probably around 800 stories itself and i have about let me look at my my notes because i do everything for my phone because i'm very much on a budget right now i still have about 154 stories still to post and i have i think like at least 20 in my inbox to transfer over
1: damn i love it and you know the capacity of madison square garden is twenty thousand, so you're addressing quite a crowd And just to give the listeners an overview of the range of experiences that people have come to you with, do you notice any patterns or commonalities or paranormal categories that seem to stick out from this ever-growing data set?
2: Oh, yeah. It's funny how you start picking up on the consistency of experience, I guess I'll call it that, how somebody sends a story, like, say they're stationed At Pearl Harbor, right? Uh, And if your viewers didn't know, there's a famous ghost on Pearl Harbor that haunts the Arizona Memorial. And one person sends a story and it's like, I've seen this ghost. Here's the story. I post it, right? And then in the comments section, you see people that corroborate seeing the same thing. And then it starts like tying in even further. Like you look at other places and other bases and other experiences people have had overseas. And I really wish I had like a pushpin, but it would like take me forever, like a map and pushpin like by color, like different types of experiences so you could see what's going on. there are some bases that have a substantially higher amount of stories than others, Fort Polk being one of them, and Okinawa, Japan, which is not surprising because that has always been known as one of the most haunted postings in the U.S. military. Hmm. Yeah.
1: This Fort Polk, gets a decent section in the book and the term box, Witch comes up. What's the deal there? Is that just some legend, some catch all term for the general weirdness that goes on there?
2: Yeah. So it depends who you talk to. And i have a good breakdown of this too on Wes Gramer's Sasquatch Chronicles. So the box, Witch of Fort Polk, right. So for your viewers that don't know, so Fort Polk is in Louisiana, middle of nowhere, like any good army base. In just a big wide open area of trees and swamps and fields, right? And so, what Fort Polk's significant to the military is in addition to having like an active duty presence there, there is a massive, massive training area known as JRTC Joint Readiness Training Center. And this is all like open source, so none of this is classified. So, don't worry, I'm not spilling no secrets. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's basically the Army has these places called CTCs. So they're basically command mission training centers, whatever like that. So they're basically, like, places where the army goes and plays war, if that makes sense. So they go through the whole motion of, like, deployment, prepping for deployment, deploying to these places, settling in, setting the stage, preparing for the battle. Then they go and to these areas and go fight a fake war against uh, us, more or less. Like, we have supply our own opposing force. Mm -hmm. Geronimo, known as a G-man. And there's different units like that at different places. There's three main big ones. One of them is in Fort Polk. So all the light infantry brigade divisions of the army send their people there to go through like 30 to 45 days. It's just an absolute nightmare because it is. Anyways, though, getting back on track, the Fort Polk underground legend is something called the Box Witch, right? And so the box refers to the training area, like where the scenario takes place. And we're talking like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres of forest and swamps and, you know, gullies and ferns. And it's a pretty like thick terrain. It's pretty tough terrain. So within this box, it depends who you talk to. The box, which is either an all encompassing term for all the weird stuff that happens in there because it is a weird place. So anything we're talking from lights, shadow people, ghosts, voices people that show up and disappear on MVGs, sasquatch, dogman stories, UFOs, anything, right? And that's like known as like oh you got visited by the box witch. The box witch struck again. And hmm. um, there's other legends going even deeper into that like the bog walkers or the gully monsters from like further back into the 80s. Or the box witch is known as a singular entity and it is supposedly the ghost of a literal witch that lived in the training area. And so like most army bases that were set up, people you know lived in these places and the army would typically buy people out and people would move or some places like they still live on the federal land mean, like areas you don't train. But anyways, this one woman apparently lived out there and she was like a known witch of the area, whatever qualifies as a witch in those times. And she refused to move. Eventually, she did pass away of old age. And then the family sold the land, her surviving family. And supposedly she haunts it now as a literal, like, ghost entity of some type. Very strange. And so, like, the legend goes for that side you'll see a woman at night, you'll see a woman walking around in the woods, the stereotypical women in white kind of like scenario. Things will go missing from your gear. So she'll always take one of a pair. So, like, if you have two boots, she'll take one boot or one glove. People claim it's not just people stealing each other's stuff out in the field, but it's the box which coming to mess with you. <laughs> so it's interesting. But like you said, I have a whole chapter in my book devoted to stories to Fort Polk. And I don't think I even posted all of them. Those are just in my opinion, like some of the most recent better ones.
1: Right on. And I think I remember from your previous interviews that your experiences were at Fort Polk. Yeah. And just to give the quick summary you were in a tent at night, and pine cones started being thrown at your tent from the edge of the woods, or just, I guess you don't really know where, from the darkness. From
2: the darkness, so. Um...
1: And then you're like, hey, this is like kind of what Sasquatch does in these reports, and other people experience that too. And I think in another instance, you also saw orbs of light flying around, another common thing that happens. Yep. And... Those are, are interesting stories for sure. The thing that really gets me is giants. And a lot of people know the now famous Kandahar giant story where a group of soldiers in Afghanistan supposedly were sent out to look for another group of soldiers that went missing. And they encountered this 12 to 15 foot red-headed six digit double road of teeth humanoid that emerged from a cave and attacked them. They killed it, and the body was supposedly airlifted back to the squad's base by a helicopter and a net, and from there loaded onto an aircraft and taken away, never to be seen again, maybe sent to the Smithsonian basement, who knows. But apparently the people involved had to sign NDAs, and this story got out on coast-to-coast, went viral. A lot of people like it. Well, as well-known as that story is, you have one in the book that also seems to be a giant called the Giant of Kunar, where a guy was surveying the area with thermal goggles, I believe. He saw something out there, and then it stood up. And he's like, this is at least a 12-foot-tall thing. And it freaked him out. And then later he heard the giant of Kandahar story and thought back to his time in Afghanistan. And a few things stuck out as, as strange. And I like this part. I had to copy this down, where he says, for instance... The creature was described as having fire orange hair, and it reminded me of a tradition the locals in the area of my sighting would do. They would dye their hair a bright orange color and would even dye goats the same color. They never gave an explanation why. It seemed like every once in a while they would do this, and then all of a sudden, all the orange dyed goats would be gone, and the locals' hair would no longer be dyed orange. I assumed it was a cultural thing. But now it makes me wonder if it was some kind of gesture to the creature or the goats were sacrificed. And, man, I like that. It really makes me think of the whole motif in the original King Kong where the locals definitely (laughs) seem to offer up things to the local beast. Uh, But that's pretty wild, man. That's one of my favorites in the book.
2: Oh, yeah. No, that's definitely one of my favorite stories because it's funny. I tried to do some research into that, and I really couldn't find a lot on the tradition. So there is. Some Islamic and Muslim traditions where they do dye their hair certain colors and dye goats certain colors for different holidays and periods in the Islamic faith. But I couldn't really find any of that orange. I spoke to a gentleman yesterday who served in the military who put up an interesting story in comparison to that. So apparently in the Quran, Muhammad is described in some instances as a giant man with fiery red hair. Like he was a redhead. Hmm. So apparently, when this gentleman was deployed to Afghanistan, he would encounter Afghanis who would dye their hair orange to kind of like emulate the Prophet Muhammad. Or alternatively, if like they had like a redhead or a ginger in their unit, the Afghanis, and he said also in Iraq as well, in some rural places, they would ask, are you Muslim? They would ask him if he was from the bloodline of the prophet Muhammad because Muhammad was depicted with red hair. And so now that that got me thinking, like, that opens up a whole can of worms, too, (laughs) of, you know, the Genesis 6 conspiracy theory is, (laughs) like, definitely a rabbit hole you can dive into.
1: (laughs) It is, it is. And so often we hear stories of giant skeletons, but it's pretty rare to hear stories of living giants, but... A couple of these stories do seem to be from Afghanistan and that whole region, and it got me thinking, wouldn't it be interesting if a subtext of the entire war, a subtext of sending troops to Afghanistan at all, was really to put them in this situation, to snuff out one of these living giants? Because the elite do seem to have an interest in these sorts of things without really advertising it, and we've speculated with other guests about the Baghdad Museum that it was raided right away to get some of these antiquities so they could try to piece back this deep history uh, with whatever relics are available. I mean, you don't
2: think it was because Saddam had a Stargate?
1: (laughs) I have heard that as well. I mean, that's a level 11. Let's turn up the dial. Uh, Maybe Saddam had a Stargate.
2: (laughs) I can believe it. Saddam had a lot of stuff going on. Um, But yeah, no, the giants is always something super interesting that I'm looking into I actually have a couple more stories that I've received. And I think I've only scratched the surface. I think a lot more people in Afghanistan have seen things that could be described as giant. And something I learned, so I never deployed to Afghanistan. I've never fought in the war. But even talking to soldiers and even people that had lived in Afghanistan, you know, that had left during the war, it's an extremely rural place, a good place to kind of understand, like, some of these places are so remote. They don't understand the rest of the world. They don't believe in it, if that makes sense. Hmm. A good episode to listen to that kind of says this. Is, so Sasquatch Chronicles, I believe on 778, I think on 775 or 774 There's another gentleman who he fought in like the very beginning of the war, he moved into Afghanistan, and he tells a story about how he went to a village in Afghanistan. And I won't spoil too much because he does a much better job of describing everything, but this place is so remote, they thought the ocean was a myth. Holy shit. <laughs> right? They're so remote, they don't have any technology or any, any idea of, or a very, very, very basic idea of what it is. When they see a plane flying overhead, they call it an X because they have no other words to describe it. They didn't understand what it was. And that's how rural some places are in Afghanistan. There's places in Afghanistan that even those people, those rural Afghanis who live very, very close to the earth, don't even go to because there's they can't reach it. These mountains and false peaks and valleys. And there's I want to get into it more and do a lot more research, but Afghanistan, Iraq and the Islamic faith have some very interesting legends of the paranormal when it comes to like the jinn, I think there's a whole realm of paranormal topics to discuss that have like not even been scratched the surface because of the war and kind of the, I guess, negativity now that rightfully so surrounds some of that area and, you know, unrightfully so as well. Mm -hmm. One day, I hope hope that I can kind of like dive into that and learn more because there's some truly, truly fascinating stuff that I've heard. Yes, I agree
1: with you. And because your book is so varied and the stories are so vast and this is really cruising along we're 20 minutes in already give us a, a story that you find to be a favorite that is interesting for maybe a different category other than giants
2: okay i'm just gonna turn a page in here because there's a lot of good ones in the book yeah and i'll pick some off my page too so if your listeners want to want to get like a good variety they're in for a treat so you know what? i'm just gonna go skip to my one of my favorite stories. So this gentleman is probably one of the most unique gentlemen I've ever spoken with. So he was in the Russian army because he's from Russia when he turned 18. Most men get conscripted right away for a quick term. So he was conscripted and basically sent to war right away. And he said that he had fought by the time he had left the Russia and came to the United States and immigrated over. He's like, I had been in sick combat zones. You know, I had fought in several battles and been shot at and blown up before, like, the age of 30. And, like, awesome guy to speak with. If you want to hear more stories about him and his war stories, you listeners should definitely check out Battles and Beers on Instagram. He also has a book called What the War Did to Us, where he basically, I copied him, (laughs) kind of like his idea of to put the stories that he collected on his website to in printed form to preserve them because ultimately this is like for your listeners this whole goal of my project is to in my own really weird way give veterans a way to voice their stories they otherwise wouldn't tell
1: yeah it's cathartic to get those stories out rather than hold them tight to the chest
2: yeah. And I found that most people just want to tell their story. And I so everything on my page is anonymous. I don't do any, any names or anything like that unless specifically requested to. It's a way for people to get stuff like, hey, get it off your chest. Tell me the story. I'll post it so you can see like there's other people. And maybe there is an answer for what you saw. Maybe there is a reasonable explanation, mistaken identity, whatever. Like, let's find out. And you can feel at ease and you can feel heard. Not have to deal with any repercussion of someone pointing at you and being like weirdo, crazy, or anything like that. Agreed. So, sorry, got sidetracked there. (laughs) Uh, But this gentleman, he sent this story, and this is one of the more fascinating ones for me. So, part of his conscription, he was in the VDV, which is the Russian paratroopers. And this was when he was doing a training exercise in Mongolia with the Mongolian and Kazakhstani army. Okay. I was pretty much walking around the desert for months and months, wondering when I was going to die of heat stroke. There was a point where our groups were walking around these pumice sandstone hills. If you don't know, pumice is a very porous stone with natural big holes coming through. And after time, these holes get big enough to fit a small man or large dog through. I was on night watch behind a cord machine gun, which is a cord machine gun is just the Russian equivalent, very big Russian equivalent of like the American 50 caliber machine gun. We had these giant thermals and IR infrared sights attached to them. I was scanning the terrain and more or less sleeping when I see what appears to be a thermal image resembling one of those inflatable tube men. You know, the kind that you see at used cars dealerships in the U.S. It's about 100 meters out on the slope of a hill. I blink and close my eyes. When I open them, it's still there, and I see this thing moving side to side like one of those inflatable tube men, but with no arms. I turned on the floodlight attached to the machine gun, and I saw for a split second this massive fucking caterpillar. It's about the size of a horse. It's poking out of one of these large holes in the pumice, and it slinks back down after I shine a light on it. I remember in vivid detail what this thing looked like. It was the same amber color as a cockroach, and I counted eight limbs from what I saw. I can only guess that it was maybe a quarter of the full length of this thing sticking out of the hole. Its face looked exactly like a wood grub. I shouted in legit surprise when I hear something behind me. I turn around and it's a Kazakh soldier that had been watching me. He promptly explained that I had seen a Mongolian deathworm. It was like something you always see out there. To be honest, I have no explanation for what it could have been otherwise.
3: <laughs>
2: so I like that story because like a Mongolian deathworm you hear is like one of those goofy there's no way this thing could exist. And that guy was like, No, that's that's what I saw. A Mongolian deathworm. <laughs>
1: Yes, I love that one as well. As soon as you said Russian soldier, I knew it was coming. And man, you jumped right into the deep end of the pool with one of the most unique stories in the book. And when you spoke about how remote some of these areas can be, who knows what's really out there?
2: Yeah, who really knows? I mean, (laughs) they're discovering stuff all day. You know, I'm a big Sasquatch believer. I think that something Bigfoot exists, right? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Like they thought gorillas were a myth too. Well, Highland gorilla was a myth. No, there's no apes up there. There's no monkeys in those mountains. And lo and behold, there's these elusive apes that don't like people, were incredibly hard to find, and eventually found one day.
1: Hmm. You know, another one of my favorite types of stories that's in the book, and I actually have uh, one bookmarked here, is stories of people just riding along in a, a Humvee or some kind of vehicle covered. At night in a remote area and something big just jumps onto the vehicle like they can tell from the inside that something jumped onto the outside. And then as soon as it came, it leaves and there's no real sighting of it. And here's a, and here's an example on page 24. You have one called something big guard shift. 100 myself and another private staring into the dark abyss of the Kunar River Valley below. The glow of NVGs reflecting on our eye is our only light. Our shack is eight by eight made of plywood, barely strong enough to hold the anti-mortar single sandbag layer on the roof. Metallica quietly plays on the speaker. I guess this is just a, a little shack, not necessarily something moving, but he says many sightings of large creatures had happened in the mountains, some even taller than us, always through thermals and always far, far away and blurry. Tonight was different. Something big jumped on the side of our guard shack and latched on with its claws. It climbed to our roof as a large cat would, right up a vertical face. There was some creaking from the added weight. It jumped down into the darkness and was not seen again. Now that could be an animal, but it definitely is creepy.
2: Yeah, and so like I did some research. There are like indigenous big cats through Afghanistan. They're like snow leopards. They're also like extremely rare and like live in the mountains. Going back to Afghanistan, there's other animals there too, like hyenas and stuff like that. And so, like, I try to help people that submit, like, well, what do you think? Do you think you saw this? And they're like, no, that's not what I saw. And I like that. I get a lot of these, like, the gentleman who sent the story, and there had been sightings of other creatures and things that were bigger than us, and then just elaborates on that after I ask. (laughs) So, I do think there was a lot of stuff but it's like a quote that i like that i picked up was nothing beats the terror in the moment that you pass off Mm -hmm. and there's guys out in afghanistan and iraq and i you know for your viewers i know there's just oh somebody told them to be quiet they signed ndas it's honestly as simple as hey that's really weird but i really got to focus on watching this area so somebody doesn't shoot at us and like they see something weird and then they're snapped back into like doing their job and doing their focus and then it's only later that it comes back like wow that was actually really weird
1: yeah and the the ones that are about some kind of creature are the ones that probably intrigue me most i have another one here i took a note about i just wrote strange beast multiple witnesses must read it's called the border You know, I read this book in a couple of days and they all kind of bleed together, but some definitely stuck out and I had to write them down. But this one says, currently assigned to the border mission where I have seen what I believe to be a skinwalker. It was night with perfect illumination and we were under NVGs, I guess, night vision goggles. The military terms, you know, sometimes I got to look these things up. Yes. But my team and I first sighted what appeared to be a black cat 60 meters from our position. It was walking away from us and... Being of no immediate concern, we ignored it. It's about 100 meters away when we go back to scanning our sectors. My buddy is scanning behind me when he tells me, dude, this cat grew. I turn and shit you not, it was a hog. I'd say it's about 50 or 80 pounds max, so decent size. Maybe it scared away the cat, but now there was a hog where we last saw the cat. It stays away from us, not making any noise, just rooting around. So we were joking around about dropping it. When it starts walking in circle patterns, slowly making its way towards us, we decide to approach it. It turns as we come around and walks a straight line away from us. We get a good look at the tracks, which match that of a hog, but the tracks were super deep. The ground is solid dirt, and these were about three and a half inches deep, so that's strange. We chamber rounds and are ready for anything when it stops about 25 meters in front of us in the shadow of a tree. We slow our walk and take another few steps toward it. At this point, we feel something off, kind of a bad vibe. We stop using night vision goggles and we white light it. It stands up on its hind legs and stands at my height. It was about six feet tall when standing up. Eyes level with mine, didn't make a sound. We run, but when we look back, it's vanished. We book it back to the Humvees and climb on top. When we returned, our guys were confused and asked what had happened. They didn't believe us, but we warned the next shift to keep their eyes open. My driver and I considered emptying our mags into it, but we're on the border and wouldn't want to deal with the paperwork and questioning for firing rounds at something barely anyone believes in. We said the Lord's Prayer and for the rest of the shift sat on top of the Humvees. First time I've been scared in a while. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty wild, man. It's like two different animals, almost sounds like a shape-shifting thing. And then when it's really exposed with a headlight or you know put under a spotlight, it really erupts into a six-foot-tall thing, and it scared multiple people. There's not just one guy here.
2: Right. So the border mission, whatever your stance is on it, right, a lot of those people there have seen some weird stuff. Just... Talking before the border mission, the Rio Grande River and the border with Mexico and the United States is some interesting kind of spooky territory. There's a lot of legends down there of, like, La Llorona, things people see in the desert, monsters, shadow people. Chupacabra. Chupacabra. (laughs) There's some freaky stuff down there. But, yeah, this guy, he sent it into me. And it was, like, you know, one of those most of the times, like, out of the blue, I have a story for you. This is it. He was like, I believe whatever I saw wasn't just a regular cat or a boar; it was a skinwalker, which is also funny in itself. You know, the skinwalkers are like kind of like a meme at this point. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like if you go listen to like all these stories, skinwalkers—they don't really fit the mo of what is defined in the Navajo culture as like a skinwalker. We hear all these scary stories about like people seeing like these weird animals and shapeshifter things, right? And I always think like. Maybe they're not skinwalkers. Maybe we just refer to them as skinwalkers, right? And it's really something else. Some shape-shifting thing out there that is like maybe stalking humans, hunting humans, right? I was on the Uncomfortable podcast and we brought up this point together. Think about the woman in white story. How many times have you heard of a story about a woman in white? A good amount. Good amount, right? How many of those stories are like, if you see the woman in the white in the lake, don't go near her. She'll lead you to your doom. If you see the woman in white, walk away because something bad will happen to you, right? Or you'll disappear. Right, like a siren. Yeah. What if that's not a ghost? What if there is a shape-shifting thing out there that is hunting humans, right? Mm-hmm. I thought that was a kind of interesting thing to put up. The Missing 401 cases always fascinate me, right?
1: Yes, I was going to bring that up because... My impression, based on some conversations I've had with researchers, is that there seems to be conditions where the earth creates plasmas. And these plasmas seem to be able to be vessels for consciousness the same way a human body could be. And they seem to shape shift. And guys like John Keel and Carl Jung, who studied these paranormal experiences, they'd say there's some interplay between the experiencer and what's going on in their subconscious, and what they expect to see. That's why some people see Marian apparitions, or they see a cross, or whatever their kind of religious predispositions might be, they see those things. Or if they're into sci-fi, they might see the little green men. Or if they're into Irish folklore, they might see fairies. And whatever they're seeing, it's a plasma that can shapeshift into something based on reading the mind of the observer or something like that. And it's very strange, but I totally believe that might be what's behind the missing 411 stuff and just why sightings are so varied. But it's, it's really tough to say. I mean, you've seen orbs in the sky. If someone told you that was a sentient floating plasma, I mean, what would you say? Did it seem like that? Was it at a very far distance or, or, or what?
2: somebody told me there's sentient floating plasma that can shape shift into whatever my mind is thinking about. I don't necessarily count that as like, a, Oh yeah, Bigfoot or whatever. doesn't exist. <laughs> that in itself is, you know, very weird.
1: Right. And if it's something that's more advanced than us or smarter than us, it can run circles around our logic and we're still denying that it even exists and it's out there hunting people in the national parks.
2: Yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting concept to think about. Um, <laughs> You know, I spoke with another gentleman on a podcast. This goes into, like, one of my favorite points to make. You know, a lot of people just hand wave stuff is, like, science can explain it. Yeah, sure, science can explain it, but that inevitably doesn't mean it's freaking weird, you know? Like, that example right there, like, everything people are seeing is just empty balls of plasma that hunt people. And, like, that's supposed to make it all better and explain things away. <laughs> Which goes to, like, my favorite point. Like, another story. I just spoke with a gentleman. we were talking about how there's this mine people have reported hearing voices in and like what they attributed to being the ghost of the past and so the prevalent theory that a group of scientists came up with and the mine was what the minerals extracted were used for recording tapes in the very early stages of making tape recorders and so what had happened was the voices of people working in the mines and the noise of working in the mines had embedded itself into the minerals. And wow. when lightning would strike the mine, the electrical discharge of the lightning would cause these voices, this recording in the rock to sound. And that's how people were hearing voices, right? <laughs> and so like, right then and there, you'd have people like, "Hey, ghosts don't exist, so blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, there's a natural explanation for everything. Yeah. But you don't find it weird that the stone is literally holding on to the voices of the past and the lightning is the thing playing it. That's not like a, oh, we figured it out kind of question. Like that is incredibly fascinating and amazing, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's not a ghost story, but it doesn't mean there aren't other ghost stories. And it itself is very interesting.
2: Yeah, you threw away the can of worms and opened up another one. (laughs) <laughs> what and one of my favorite things to say are what are the implications of this? <laughs> well, mm-hmm. I'm like, let's think about this for a second. And so that goes to like one of my more favorite things of how I view things. Like so Occam's razor, right? So like there are probably natural explanations for what people are seeing, right? And there's a lot of ones that are like simple, you know, misidentification, whatever. If you believe things hundred percent, I think that it does a disservice to you finding the answers. So like, you kind of have to approach things with a little bit of a skeptic's lens. And so I, I consider myself a little bit of a skeptic when it comes to stuff. Mm-hmm. But on the opposite side of that, Occam's razor, right? So Occam's razor is the simplest solution is usually the right answer. Right. So people are like, will use that. oh, well, the simplest solution is, you know, it's fake or it's not real. Well, no, sometimes, honestly, the simplest answer is you don't know what it is. It's not normal. It's unexplained right now. Right. And I think that scares a lot of people because even if there is a natural answer, they kind of hand wave it as like, oh, it's fake. Right. Well, instead of trying to find it out, because I think the thing that scares. Intellectuals and academics and people the most or you know, so-called intellectuals the most is, you know, things that they can't explain. Right. Because that makes them uncomfortable because now you have to accept you don't know everything. And when you accept you don't know everything, that's when people get really scared. It's true. It's true. But on the flip side of that, you can't believe everything either that comes across your desk, 100% without a skeptic's lens. Because it does you a disservice because I will tell you, I've been down the rabbit hole of looking at some of these, like, I guess TikTok is the thing power a lot of. Paranormal stuff's on mm-hmm. of like so-called military stories and i could tell you i could listen to it in the story and i'm like this is all fake this is fan fiction man I'm like i'm sorry <laughs> all the details are wrong all the verbiage is wrong these don't sound like soldiers talking or people talking
1: very interesting because i don't trust you know whenever there's an official narrative going out about really anything but ufos in particular sure let's call them uaps or whatever But when there's stories in the New York Times and then CNN's covering it and it involves senators, I'm like, I think you're trying to steer this in a certain direction that isn't necessarily just the genuine raw reality. And to hear you say that, being experienced in the military, it's refreshing because I kind of have that same impression where I don't really trust the official word on that. And some of these people seem like they may be playing a role Of a whistleblower and not necessarily a whistleblower.
2: And you know what? There are decisions and stuff going on behind the scenes that are just above you and me. I do find it fascinating that they're coming out and releasing like official statements on this stuff. And so I think it's either A, aliens, alien crafts, extraterrestrial crafts that are coming to this earth or whatever. Or just something that is not man-made. Let's just cap it at that, not man-made. B, it's tech from one of our adversaries that is being used against us, which this is just my opinion. If our foreign adversaries had tech like that to use against us, they would be like throwing it in our face in my opinion, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's the arms That's you know. I think that then the third one is I think it could be us, right? Again, just my opinion. I think we do have technology that makes the science looks like science fiction behind it you know if you showed a man in the 1800s a p51 mustang he would think that's fake there's Mm -hmm. no way that could be real there's no way that thing could work it's true you know and you look at technology through the ages like drones were being used in world war ii it was hilarious to think about
1: yeah i mean so if you're Take is that it's either aliens or humans. I mean, it's hard to be wrong when you're covering the spread that wide. True. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. But yeah, I know. wanted to try to fit in a couple more stories into this first hour. This one I gotta throw out there because I love underground stuff and caves, and it comes up a little bit in the book. Not a major theme, but it is there. So this one, you mentioned Okinawa is one of these hotbeds, and here we go. Odo Beach, Okinawa. My buddy and I were exploring this place near Odo Beach. It's on the southern tip of the island. We saw this large cave open to the elements with a central pillar in the middle. There wasn't much to see. We went in on the right side and exited on the left. As we were leaving, I noticed a small opening into another cave. It was a tight fit, but we thought we could make it through. I led the way, shining my flashlight down the tunnel into this second cave. We were still a bit away from the exit when I noticed that it looked like someone had been living there at one point in time. There were clothes, beddings, and small furniture in this cave. We decided to leave. We were crawling towards the exit of the tunnel towards this chamber when I heard something scurrying across the cave's floor in front of me. I shined my light towards the chamber again and saw a small humanoid figure run across the beam. I thought my imagination was getting the better of me, so we kept going. Then it ran across my light beam again, in the direction that it first ran from. I happened to shine my light towards this chamber again. I saw a small humanoid crouching at the tunnel's exit in front of me. It had long dark hair, bright green eyes, long fingers with claws, and teeth like they were filed down to a point. We got the fuck out real quick. We had a friend who wanted to see the cave, so we returned. When we looked for the entrance to this second chamber... It was completely gone like it never existed. And that is a great story, not only for the weird little creature, but it's another thing I've heard sometimes in fairy folklore that when you try to return to the place, it isn't there or something about it has shifted as if the being realizes it was discovered and can somehow alter its environment.
2: Yeah, you know, he's probably like, what are you doing in my house? I have to move now. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's a weird one. It defies category, which are sometimes my favorite stories.
2: So I looked it up. (laughs) My research and looking up is like a quick browse to Wikipedia while while I have a second in my my life. And so it kind of fits the description and the not M.O., but like how. The kappa is the word I'm getting at the kappa or kappa. I think Is like a Japanese legend of, and it's literally described as a little girl looks like a frog-human thing that lives in marshes, lakes, caves, and on the beach.
3: Hmm.
2: And I'm pretty sure that's what we saw. It was a kappa. <laughs> but yeah, no, like the caves, I find that interesting. <laughs> it was like <laughs> the thing was probably like, "What are you doing in my house? I have to move now." <laughs> like I, I forgot to close the front door, and this is what happened. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a wild one, and it's it's hard to. F- find, I mean, it seems like you did seek out some kind of mythological being that fits the description. That's also kind of a funny thing about this is so many cultures do have these stories and they have names and descriptions for some being. And then you find U.S. soldiers roaming around that territory and they encounter something similar. There's a lot of cultures that have names for Sasquatch. There's a lot of cultures that have names for certain ghosts or, or demons or energy that is in that space. And then people stumble across it. So I don't know what's going on, but that should make anyone a little more curious and give credence to these stories being more than just made up off the top of someone's head, because how could it fit the lore so closely?
2: Right. I mean, yeah. People are like, uh, they use myths to describe you know, rectify with the afterlife or whatever. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. I'm a big believer in faith and stuff like that. And I think that, yeah, yeah, we make up something as we go. Yeah, sure. But I think a lot of the times, like you said, there's so much commonalities between culture. Why is it that every culture has a story about a flood? Mm -hmm. Where do you draw the line of, oh, they're just ripping off other religions and realize that, you know, the Navajo Nation or indigenous nations in the united states have a flood story exactly like noah's ark
3: yeah
2: the last i checked i don't i mean wow another rabbit hole i don't i don't think the israelites made it to north america during the exodus (laughs) (laughs) but you know i think that there's a lot of commonalities and consistencies between stories across cultures and religions and people hand wave that like it's nothing but i, I sit there and I'm like well you know it's, now it's like beyond a coincidence now you have like all these different cultures so varied and different from each other that don't typically have contact with each other having the same type of story and you don't find that fascinating so something to think about mhm you
1: know another thing that's a commonality in some of these stories especially the ones where it's somebody who witnesses like a ghost soldier And they're not always in ghost form. Sometimes they seem very solid and they wander into camp and the witness will address them like, hey, what are you doing here? Who are you? Of course, they say nothing. And that's another important point in the layers of why these military encounters are so interesting. These are very secured places. No weird hog cat thing should be wandering in. No beast should be jumping on their shed. And no person should be wandering into camp without somebody at the gate stopping them. This isn't a random place. But I've noticed that a lot of the people who do see a ghost soldier, they will notice patches or insignia on the uniforms that are either wrong, just like a little bit off, or even sometimes retired, like things from a previous conflict And that's a curious detail that stuck out. It comes up in maybe half a dozen or more cases. It's weird. It almost reminds me of the Men in Black stories where the people show up to investigate uh, an experience and then they're just off. Like they'll ask for coffee, but then they won't know how to drink it. Just really strange stuff. Like they're mimicking human behavior. And maybe these are just ghosts from a previous conflict, but it's weird that they have patches and insignia from the military That are either legit but not in current use or a little bit off.
2: Yeah, it makes me believe it's something that has no idea really what it's doing. And so just being in the your uniform is jacked up. Like that's the first thing people notice. Yeah. So like I always found it funny. If something is trying to mimic a soldier and then like walks into the base in the wrong uniform. Somebody's going to notice that right away. And obviously, he's not looking for any NCOs or SAR majors because it'll get lit the hell up right away. <laughs> it's like the story you hear of North Koreans, right? And how they catch North Korean saboteurs and spies coming across the border. is Because a lot of times, the clothing they wear is so horrendously outdated, it's not funny. They come across the border and in a modern area, they're wearing clothes that were popular in styles that were popular in the '80s. Yeah, because they're just a little out of touch with the stuff.
1: <laughs> Wild. And before we totally close out this first hour, give people one more story that you like that maybe is strange or out of the range of, of normality with the ghosts and stuff. maybe something that seems like a little more solid: a bigfoot, a dogman, one of these kind of things.
2: Ooh. So I'm going to read one for your readers. It's from the book. It's super, super short. But there's something that I like about this because it opens up the whole point of this book. Let me just flip to this from going back to good old Fort Polk. Get quite a bit of stories there. And I think I'm only like scratching the surface of what's there. So here we go. Bogwalker. The Bogwalker is real at JRTC. At first glance, I chalked it up to NVG hallucinations long arm figures walking through thigh-deep waters as if they are cruising to the 7-Eleven. Nothing beats the terror that we pass off at the moment. Everyone feels it, but we're all like, nah, man, that's just G-Man fucking with us. But seeing is believing in hindsight. Anybody that knows, knows. And I like that one because I think that sums up the entire scope and theme of what I'm doing now is there is a lot of that. There's a lot of the. Anyone that knows knows because we've seen it. We just don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite one of this type of stories I give. Very quick, very snippet, very like give me just enough detail that I want to know more and then I never hear from them again. <laughs> but, or they don't want to elaborate on it anymore because they don't want, you know, they're still in and people might be able to put the story together. But to your listeners, I do think that in the military, it's just unique because it's such a typical. Closed group, anyways. There's a lot of stuff like all the acronyms people who are in the military may not understand. I don't understand them half the time. I'm in the military. Hmm. And so I was hoping another goal of doing the book on the page was to help bridge that gap between the civilian world and the military world through social media, which is, you know, kind of like the easiest way to do it and in a weird way, paranormal, because everybody likes a spooky story.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great goal and you're accomplishing it well.
2: I hope so. And I hope it takes off a little bit more. And I guess like you're right, like I'm not, <laughs> I guess I'm humbled to a fault. I didn't really think an audience of 20K is the size of Madison Square Garden, which I've been to. And it's, <laughs> that's pretty big. It is, man. The internet
1: can do wild things. When you think about the amount of people you can fit into one physical location and then the amount of people you can reach online. I sometimes get nervous talking to my own audience because it's too fucking big. I I didn't know what I was doing. I'm not trained for this. And now I'm addressing quite a few people. But I would imagine that you're going to get even more stories from this audience. And probably every time you do an interview, I'm sure they just kind of explode. And that's a beautiful thing.
2: Yeah. That's the goal is to spread the word. And so, like, every build more followers because it increases my chance of getting a story. And I don't make any money off of having 22K followers. I guess I could, but you know, at this point, it's really not what I'm trying to do. (laughs) But you know, everything travels by word of mouth. So, going on the podcast, sharing the page, following the page that helps me build a pool of potential. And there's people that, like have followed my page from the very beginning that are just now telling me their story because they feel comfortable enough that they're ready to do it. Or, you know, they just said, F it, I'm going to tell the story to you. So it is definitely like one of those projects that only grows as the people who follow it. And that's what makes it kind of cool is I get to, I've talked to thousands of people at this point and had conversations and it still kind of blows my mind. It's become, is most definitely become my hobby. <laughs> like, outside of work (laughs) besides being a dad and, you know, active duty military it is definitely like taking over. I haven't played Xbox in forever. (laughs) You know what? It's productive.
1: (laughs) Well, I think also when people feel like they're not alone, that helps them to tell a story. They're like, Oh, you know, I guess uh, I've read a couple dozen accounts of something that was like what I saw. I'll throw my hat in the ring and admit it and bring it out of the reserves. But man, This was a lot of fun. The whole range of paranormal experiences. I think we touched on pretty much everything. And I really enjoy these shows where we can just be rapid fire and give people wild stories. Obviously, there's no way to vet them, but they are fun to listen to. And it's all enough to make me very curious about how little we understand and how much mystery is really left in the world. Oh, yeah. And so I assume... You uh, will be getting more stories after this, and that's great. Maybe volume two is coming out sooner than later. But before I let you go, remind people where they can find the Instagram page and how they can reach out to you. If any military folks listening now have
2: stories of their own, yeah. So you can find me on Instagram right now. My name is Tales from the Good Square on Instagram, and so that is T A L E S underscore F. R-O-M underscore T-H-E underscore G-R-I-D-S-Q-U-A-R-E. So tails underscore from underscore the underscore grid square. All one word.
1: And I will obviously give people a a link as well.
2: Make it easy. Oh, no worries. And for the book, if you want to search for the book and not wait for the link, the book is available on Amazon. So (laughs) I wish I had a cooler story. Why? But if you search for the book right now on Amazon, (laughs) it's not going to pop up. No, they're not censoring me, but because I've done everything myself, I'm a one-man show, self-published and edited, done all the legwork for the book, except for the cover. Excellent artists who I credit in the book. So you need to search Tales from the Grid Square and then filter by all books, and then I should pop up, or you just search directly from the Kindle store, and I should be right there. Awesome.
1: Man, yes, it is an impressive feat for one person. I really enjoyed all the stories, having over 230 in one book. It's a nice addition to the Weird Stuff shelf. So thanks for everything you do, and thanks for spending some time with me. Super interesting. And keep it up, man. Take care out there.
2: Thank you very much for having me on the show. I really enjoyed it.
1: There we have it, guys. Nick Orton. What a good show to have on deck for the 4th of July. I actually had no idea it was going to work out that way. This is just the last interview I recorded before going off to Austin, and I just wanted to make sure I had enough in case I ran into trouble on the road or something. And then I started to think about how well it meshed with the holiday on deck, and it's just a nice little happy accident. Like when psychedelic Mormonism lined up with Easter. But Nick was having a little trouble with my preferred recording platform, so we had to use Skype, and its quality is only going to be so good. We had so many internet breakups, too, but most of them were pretty seamlessly edited out. And content-wise, so many people told me that they liked the Tony Merkel episode that I thought Nick's work would be a good compliment in terms of just a bunch of rapid-fire, strange stories. Respect to Nick for finding his niche with this. From Dogman and Mongolian death worms to time glitches and cave giants, we covered quite a bit. His Instagram has new stories all the time, too. Several good ones just since we've recorded this. One even about a document that mentions the military using gnomes in combat. Very strange. But it is great to be back home. I never really thought I'd be driving back and forth from Austin to San Diego halfway across the country twice before my kid is even a year old. But here we are. Thanks to everyone who came out to the event, it was an amazing turnout. The place was packed inside and out. It was definitely the best THC live event there has been to date. I haven't done many, but there were a few joint events at comedy clubs with Sam Tripoli, and I am super thankful that I got to actually have events at the big three comedy clubs in Southern California. Pretty amazing bucket list item for me. Of course, it's just a regular old Tuesday for Sam, but I value those events very much. Although we had Eddie Bravo at two of them and Gino from Compound Media at another one, and those dudes are just so loud that it's hard for me to really get a word in. The panel at the Ice House was really great, actually, and I wish we had gotten more diversity of thought in there. But Jimmy Dore was there, and that's one that I'd consider the second best THC event, and I think it was the first. But anyway, grateful for those events, but this one was way more what I think THC fans want. Just a good hang, drinking a little drink, smoking a little smoke, and basically a live podcast with Gordon followed by a Q&A Pandora's box of all kinds of topics, from natural healing and esoterica to Antarctica and the Hollow Earth. And Gordon had just come back from the jungle, the insightful whispers of Mother Ayahuasca still fresh in his mind, and it was exactly what a THC slash Rune Soup event should be. As it was coming up, we definitely underhyped it as just a meetup because we really didn't know if we'd have the right setup for a live podcast, and luckily, we did. And I'm really proud of the quality, the turnout, the fact that it was totally free. As long as you were a member of one of our sites, I rarely see a free live podcast event from any of the shows that I listen to, so I think that's cool. We didn't really give it a title, but Apocalypse Planning 101 is pretty appropriate. We talked about all the models that suggest the rest of this decade is going to be very challenging, to say the least, and what we can do to deal with it. Luckily, we did get a pretty great recording, so it will be up for PLUS members this week who couldn't make it. And it is a video, so it's not going to be going in the RSS feed, but definitely take some time to check it out. Probably some of the best intel we've had for what's coming. I'm definitely trying to reorient my life appropriately, and it keeps coming up in these interviews. I'm going to try to tamper that down until I actually make a decision, but I would suspect a lot of you guys are thinking along similar lines, and episodes like this one today are always fun, and it's good to get out of the same old lanes as everyone else. But this Austin event really did make me feel like we have to get some guests on to break down different aspects of the kind of things we talked about while there's still time for people to methodically consider how and where they want to step into the next chapter. As Gordon said, it's not grim or dire, but it is stark. It is to be taken seriously, but we came here for this, right? Anyway, I really look forward to hearing what you guys have to say about that video. So much stuff in it that I'm still thinking about, actually. Gordon's ayahuasca purge and Gerald Pollock's fourth phase gel state water connection. Being a big one of those things. But it should be up in the next couple of days. And let's look at the events calendar. So sad I missed this one. It was last night. Didn't even get to mention it on the air but a St. Louis event at the Four Hands Brewery. I can't believe it looks like we had a 15-person turnout, even without an announcement. Maybe I should move back there if there's such a good THC network brewing, but I hear good things about the Four Hands Brewery, too. Have yet to check it out myself. But then July 6th, in just two days, we have another Seattle THC Inquisition at the Central Cafe. July 8th, we have the Nashville Higher Ciders Happy Hour coming back around at the Tailgate Brewery. July 9th, uh, the THC Las Vegas Family Fun Water Park event. If you're in Vegas, check that out. I like it. Very creative idea. And also July 9th, we have the Berliner THC Find the Other Support Group at the Castle Berlin in Berlin, Germany. If you are in Germany, help a brother out and build that network. It's a big city. Surely we got some listeners there, but that's great. Lots of events in just the first 10 days of the month. People are finding other people and it's a beautiful thing. When so many people are blissfully ignorant of the challenges ahead, it behooves us to form the right relationships now. I am honored to actually play a little part in that, but hop onto the calendar and check out the other upcoming events or make your own. Of course, today's show is really great in the second hour, like every episode, and Nick even put some special attention into making sure our second hour had some great stories. I very much appreciate him doing that. Of course, it's usually like the first hour is for the guest's promotion, and the second hour is to keep us alive. But to have him put that thought in was very considerate. There were a couple in particular that I really liked and... If you know, then you know. If you don't, sign up for The Higher Side Chats Plus at thehiresidechats.com. You can get the seven-day free trial and check it out for yourself. But that's the show. Big thanks to Nick for sharing great stories and taking the time. I could say something sour and negative about the spirit of the 4th of July really being in short supply, but honestly, just enjoy it. Get together with people you care about and make sanctuary, as Gordon might say. Unite rather than divide and have empathy for people who aren't handling these times with grace because we're under a lot of pressure these days. Enjoy that extra day off the hamster wheel and I will see you next time. Check out Nick's Instagram and his book if you're into this kind of thing, Tales from the Grid Square. And thanks for listening. I've done my part. Your move, ghost soldiers, roaming dogmen and Mongolian deathworms. Your fucking move.
4: When you see weird lights outside of your door Something sits on your chest when you sleep It might be a pattern you've been through before Mm -hmm. Or you might have those screen memories Darling wait till we get some proof
1: Is another show complete remember as much as you enjoyed this which is just the free first hour i hope you'll become a plus member to hear the full two-hour interviews you also can engage with other plus members in the comments and the forums and you'll find your answer to one of the most common questions i get which is where can i find those cover songs that you use at the end of the show well they are free downloads for plus members too And without plus members, I can't hire the occasional musician to bring these odd cover song ideas to fruition. Plus members are how I'm able to do what I do without ads and without the big machine being on my back. We can fit so much more into a two hour interview and I do my best to make it worth your time and money. The conversation only gets deeper, weirder, and more controversial in that private hour. How could it not the way things are going? But the best way to sign up is at thehiresidechats.com where new first time subscribers always get a free seven day trial because I'm just that confident. There's no PayPal on the website, but if you need to use PayPal, then sign up through Patreon and you get all the same episodes. Our website is a credit or debit system, but you can also scope out the other options like a few various cryptos, cash or check mailed to the P.O. box. And I'll even barter with most people if you have your own business and produce something nice that my wife or kid or taste buds might like. But the architects of consensus reality have made it clear that these themes and topics aren't really welcome on the main stage. And so this is how we secure a little counterculture corner for ourselves. And I hope you'll join Plus because that is the only way it works. Besides, you can cancel anytime right on your profile page. The most common concern I hear is people just being unsure if THC Plus will work with their podcast app and the answer is probably yes. But if not, we have several high-level app recommendations for whatever phone you use and the website is made for mobile too. We're trained to tip a waitress for bringing us a sandwich but that tip doesn't give you access to a second sandwich. Really, I'm not asking for any more than that, and I think I offer a better service. Come get your second serving of tasty conspiracy goodness in exchange for that small token of your appreciation. Beyond that, let it also be known that we have grown and survived as long as we have by word of mouth. I don't care so much about social media likes or follows, but tell the right people about THC. And not just listeners, but the high level figures who are better suited to sit down with me than most other hosts. And if you can help me with any of these things, I can work to bring you better shows, which is just a win-win for both of us. Informative, entertaining, and action-packed. It also never hurts to thank a guest you liked if you have the time either. We want them to know people are listening, so they're willing to come back down the road too. Thank you for spending some time with me, and
2: cheers to a better tomorrow.